there you go. There's that little voice telling us that it's on. Um, so yeah, Pierce, um, please start with exactly what you were saying just there a second ago. What, what you said, what's really hot for you right now? Yeah. So what's hot for me is it's to do with my work. So I was sharing a little bit before my upbringing. I had a challenging upbringing. I went to boarding school, then had a breakdown while working in the city in the financial sector. Um, ended up in a Buddhist monastery for a, a, a few years. And during that time, I came across the word of work of Nick Dufflin boarding school syndrome. Then fast forward a few years, I trained as a coach and I shared on YouTube a video of my boarding school experience and people started to reach out to me who were ex-boarders wanting to work with me and so that's been my main work for the last six or seven years is just working one-to-one -one with ex-boarders then in the last year i suddenly had this realization listening to different people that i know the impact on individuals of boarding school i've worked with the people i've read the book and then i was like oh wait a minute if Mark Zuckerberg, Elon Musk, uh, Donald Trump, um, all of these leaders have been to boarding school, what might be the impact on the world if I know what, how it affects my clients? And so I just started to ask this question. So that's what's really hot for me at the moment is having leaders who've had to survive boarding school. You know, um, David Cameron went age seven. Elon Musk, I think, was eight what is the impact on the world and you know so that that's kind of what's really hot for me and i've started to to do a film um, with a couple of men from the mankind project and a band of brothers okay awesome thank you and this is an interesting thing it's uh, i didn't know much about it i was i went to boarding school myself mm -hmm. um, i always felt like it was slightly different um you know i never really realized that there was a syndrome around it or anything that impacted men or women or and women in such a way that it, it sort of filtered through to the rest of their lives. And we'll touch on that a little bit more in a sec. But so what is just for the benefit of anyone listening now or everyone listening, what's um, what's boarding school syndrome? What is that? Yeah, so boarding school syndrome, it comes from the work of Joy Chavrin, who wrote the book Boarding School Syndrome. She's a, a professor of psych uh, and professor of art therapy who's also a Jungian analyst and in the 90s she started working with people and the connecting link was boarding school and she found that they had a series of very similar uh, kind of traits or symptoms and what they were were an inability to connect to emotions lack of emotional literacy a lack of connecting to vulnerability struggle with addictions especially workaholism and another one was um trying to think you know a struggle in intimate relationships so these were the common themes that she saw um so she wrote a few papers and then published her book in 2013 2014 i think called boarding school syndrome um nick duffel as well who wrote the book the making of them around the similar time, he too found that he was working one-to-one -one with ex-boarders and they again presented a very similar set of symptoms. And so he named them boarding school survivors because he said, not everyone is traumatized by boarding school, but mm -hmm. 
but everyone, and he says, everyone has to survive boarding school. Yeah, it makes sense. Thank you, man. Um, and so what was your experience with it? <laughs> yeah, great question. <laughs> My experience of boarding school, I went to age 11. So I came from a military family. My father had been to boarding school. Most of my family had been to boarding school. Grandfathers, um, you know, they were all military. So I was sent age 11 and my father was an alcoholic and I really didn't get on with him. So my experience was I asked to go, go away because I couldn't handle him. Um, so first three weeks were great. I really enjoyed the first three weeks, age 11. It was a chance for me just to be away from home. I was quite, I was good at sport. It was reasonably good at subjects. Uh, I was quite big for my age. The first three weeks were just, oh, it was great to be away from home. Then after three weeks, it was suddenly the realization. My mother didn't come for the leave day, the exiat, picked me up. And I was left on my own in the school. And... I, at that point, I was like, okay, I've had enough. It was a bit like a holiday camp for three weeks. Like, yeah, great. And at that point, I want to go home now. But I wasn't able to tell her. Um, and a lot of those symptoms I started to do. So I started to disassociate emotions. Yeah. So uh, Joy Chavrin talks about the ABCD of boarding school syndrome, abandonment, bereavement, homesickness captivity because we couldn't escape and de disassociation so i just started to dis disassociate um and i i thrived at sport on one level i was good at sport so i didn't get the bullying that others did um but i was very hard on myself so i used to really beat myself up if i showed any emotion i put this as nick duffel talks about this this wall up around me just to keep people away uh, so my experience, um, yeah, so I, I, I hurt my back age 13 playing cricket and I couldn't play sport for a year. Just sat on my bed and I read horror novels, Stephen King, Dean Arcouch, James Herbert, and became deeply depressed. You know, I've been used to playing lots of sport. And the day that I decided I'm going to kill myself and I went to see the doctor, so I was age 14 at that point. I went to see him. I'd been talking to one guy in the house um, who was a few years older than me to try and I had one person to speak to. That day that I went to see that the doctor, that one person I was speaking to jumped in front of the train and killed himself. And um, yeah, essentially I, my world fell apart really at that point. The school went into quite a lot of chaos. There was sexual abuse. It was a mess. So it was only, you know, I, I, I towed the line. I, I kind of went back into sport. And I was in the first 15, the first 11. I was captain of athletics. Um, I went into a top business school. But then in London, I, my, this carapace, this shell started to fracture. Drink, drugs, eventually went into prostitution not i wasn't prostitution but I, I kind of was with prostitutes that i just yeah thought i was going insane and it was at that point that i was like ah oh, 
it's due to what I went through at boarding school. So that was my experience. I mean, there's a lot more depth to that. Um, six of my teachers are now in prison for um, sexual abuse and rape. Um, and therefore, what I was aware of 20 years ago when I started reading this stuff with Nick Duffel's work, my friends were like, oh, this is rubbish, you know, I don't agree. As soon as my teacher started appearing on the BBC as and being arrested, suddenly it's like people have started to go, oh, maybe our school wasn't as functional as we thought it was. Maybe there was quite a lot of dysfunction there. So, um, yeah, so that's that's my journey. Thank you, man. How was your boarding school experience, if you don't mind me asking? Because I didn't know you went to boarding school. Um, yeah, thanks. Um, how are you right now, though, by the way? It was, uh, it was a good share. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I've, I've shared this quite a few times and, I've, you know, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I, I think my that's been part of my work that I do with clients is revisiting those memories and taking the emotional charge out. So mm. it doesn't affect me. I can speak about it. There might be some tears, mm. but it's heart open. Like, you know, that's been a blessing. Mm. I was so fucked up, you know, so, you know, I was basically homeless in London mm. that, you know, I can now see what I went through as a blessing. Yeah. So I, I'm I quite, it's good for me to share. Um, so thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. Yeah, great, man. Thanks. Man. And, you know, I'll start by saying um, your story is almost identical to mine. Uh, perhaps not the boarding school stuff. Um, well, maybe even. Um, but the aftermath, um, you know, addiction, drugs, dropped out of high school, left home, homeless, fucking all over the place, all sorts of things that I shouldn't have done. I was arrested multiple times for, you know what I mean? I was in court twice. Um, yeah. Uh, and I behaved in, in loads of ways that, um, that, you know, <laughs> that just was off the charts. Um, and, and anger for me was kind of underneath it all. Um, but then underneath the anger, of course, was just the fear, uh, fear and, and pain. You know? And, uh, it was a big, there was a deep sense of abandonment and, and I never really kind of correlated it to boarding school. I was in boarding school for four years, um, from 12 to 16. So, um, I ended up getting expelled from the, um, from the, uh, the boarding house. Um, <laughs> and like, like you, I was decent at sports. I was decent at academics, um, but I was also bunking all the time. I was that kid who had a packet of smokes in my underpants. I was bunking out from the hostel, which was, you know, you were talking about the captivity thing. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what they expelled me for because I kept bunking out. You know, I was like, fuck this, I'm going. <laughs> you know, and I'd go out and get wasted and go gamble and do all sorts of things. Um, I never, you know, growing up in South Africa, I never saw it as a thing. And what I've come to understand, particularly here in the UK, is that it's a thing that has been happening for decades, generations and generations and generations, where you know, families would bring their children up to a certain age and then ship them off, you know, to boarding school. And that's what happened. I think much like you, you know, you yours was to get away from your father. Uh, it was probably one of the best things that I could have done. I think it was my mother's way of getting rid of me because she couldn't handle me in the house. Um, 
but it I'd never put it in the same category as in, in South Africa as, as English the boarding schools and things like that and I never really noticed it was a thing uh, but yeah there was a lot of abandonment a sense of abandonment I can definitely identify with the bereavement um, what was the D disassociation yeah certainly disassociation I mean that's what the addiction and stuff is all about right um, and and the acting out um, and looking back on it I can see you know and and there was all the the hazing and stuff the hazing and the, what we used to call like initiation stuff um, what do you is, mean by hazing Brad like like the older the older you know certainly in the first couple of years the older boys would you know we'd have to do jump through hoops and do all of these things and you know they they would bully us but they'd call it like an initiatory kind of yeah, yeah. Uh, process we called it fagging we had fagging, fagging. okay yeah. all right yeah so i mean they were just stupid things and uh sometimes they would you know, we'd have wire wire um uh, hang uh lockers and then they would you'd squash jam you into a wire locker they'd lock it and then hang you over a balcony and dangle you there by like a, a wire coat hanger off, hanging off the edge of this thing in the you know in the in the with the wire coat hanger and in the, the locker. Uh, and silly things like they make you get on your, you know, your, your hands and knees and measure out the, the cricket field with a, a matchstick mm-hmm. and, and then stand behind you and, and make you crawl and throw a tennis ball at you from behind and your balls and all that kind of thing. I mean, it's just loads of odd things like that. And there was punishments. We used to punch each other. There was this thing where there was always kind of, you know, physical violence and abuse and all sorts of stuff. But it was part of the code, right? Mm-hmm. it was covered up as seen as part of the code um and then you know the the sort of the umbrella over the top of it was like oh this is a brotherhood don't worry we'll treat you like shit but now you're part of the brotherhood sort of thing so if anybody else tries to treat you like shit we will we'll protect you but it, it didn't really matter because i you know i thought i was handling it quite well and i saw lots of guys come through that that really broke uh, and it broke them and when they got broken when they broke they would then get ridiculed as well. So there was that aspect of it. Um, but not, not, not realizing as well, you know, what the detachment from, from home life would be like and how that would impact me. Um, you know, not knowing how to access my emotions and things like that. Um, all of those things, those were me. Yeah. I really liked to, so you said, uh, you know, you went to a Buddhist monastery for a while. Because mm-hmm. uh, the first time I met you, that's the impression I had of you. <laughs> I was like, this guy's like a monk. So to put in context, <laughs> first time we met each other, we were cooking in the kitchen as well at the Mankind Project weekend, weren't we? We were but That's cooking right. about, I don't know how many, 50, 60 people. Yeah, more like probably about I think that one was like 70 or something like that. Yeah. 70, yeah. 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 So lots of chopping vegetables and there was a bit of kind of conflict in the kitchen, not between us, but it was like yeah. quite a full on. Yeah, weekend. experience. Yeah, that was an island, eh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was in Ireland, 2017. Sure. Yeah. And and that's the experience I had of you was as a monk, as a really, really chilled guy. I wouldn't have put you in in the you know the first team sports category. Um, the boarding school thing didn't is, is something that I wouldn't have even at that time wouldn't even have dawned on me as, as something mm. you know, that it, um, was a thing that um, w- that you might have even gone to. Um, and and I, I wouldn't have seen it then, even if I had have known, as a connection between guys. What I am experiencing it now is, you know, years later and having done a bit more work around it, is that, yeah, there's definitely 
there's a kinship and association with with men that have all been to boarding school because they will have had similar experiences and similar struggles really mm-hmm. which i think is the important part um so that's that motivated your work and then you were saying earlier as well that you you put a video on youtube yeah 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 so it was 2015 just looking at it earlier so i put it off i've been putting videos onto youtube since youtube started so 2006 a friend of the family who i'd looked after when he was young the young guy he was like you need to put stuff on youtube i'd come out of the monastery 2005 2006 he was like you need to start posting so i started to post meditations and you know i had quite a lot of success doing that i think the first few years my meditation videos were you know the top one and two for how to meditate so i had you know hundreds of thousands of views and then at one point i was like oh it's time for me to share my boarding school experience i recorded it and then i was too scared to put it up because i don't know about you but one of the things you definitely learned was you do not grasp you do not speak up of what's happened i mean we had lots of sexual abuse and one of the teachers tried to sexually abuse me at school i didn't tell anyone about it not until i was in my 20s late 20s my 30s speaking to a friend i said this happened to me and he says my god that happened to me as well exactly the same teacher so that's i i, I sat on that video for six months and eventually i put it up and i've had yeah hundreds if not thousands no probably hundreds of comments people just saying thank you so much for sharing it's about 50 minutes long of me just sharing what it was like for me and i cry quite a few times in the video um so yeah and then that people from that they started to contact me saying can you work with me and so i was like oh before i was just working with anybody then it became oh i'm just working with ex-boarders yeah and that takes that takes a lot of courage man Mm. takes a lot of courage thank you thank you yeah Yeah, and i was really worried i was really worried that i would get a load of abuse and in the seven years that i've posted stuff about boarding school I've had hundreds of amazing comments like, oh, wow, this has just saved my life. It's the first time I've ever felt like I've been heard. And only two people have given me real abuse. Mm. You fucking wimp, you're a shit and all that. Only two. So that's hundreds of going, thank you so much. But two. And that's like, okay, <laughs> thank you. Delete. Yeah. Well, well, you know, they know where to come when they when they finally, when it gets to them, right? Yeah, you know, when they when they finally break as well, yeah, yeah. Or, you know, and I say break it, and I don't mean that in a kind of derogatory way, but what what I get from from that is is there's there's a couple of guys that are holding on to something still, mm-hmm. you know, that are still maybe have had the same experience or a similar experience, and are just still so affected by it. They're in the anger at the moment, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, which could come with denial as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. How often, you know, is it being on a, a mankind project weekend that we come along and suddenly it's like oh my god it's the boarding school thing mm. i'm fine and then oh my god yeah i feel this rage or whatever mm. the story yeah. of my life man i was just i was thought i was bipolar <laughs> or something at one point <laughs> you know what i mean 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's it. Yeah, it really does. It, it takes a lot of courage. I know from from you know going through through twelve step programs, the work with the Mankind Project, just my personal work as well, and and you know I really get that they you know which I'm I'm relating here with with what you were saying about putting the video up. I mean, I'm you haven't said it, but I'm gonna just ascertain and, and sort of project that there was a real sense of I need to get this out there, right? Like there's a story here. It's not like I want to blab it to the world. But there's something here where this could also really help somebody. As much as this is going to be cathartic for me, mm -hmm. I've done my I've done work on it already, and therefore I realize how important this is. Um, and to get it to a point where then you're really opening up, uh, not just to you know a friend, but to the internet. <laughs> yeah. Like you know, it's, and which once it's there, there's really no kind of gauging what what's going to happen as you discover it. Mm -hmm. So that really does. It's it's a it's a very very scary place to be, mm -hmm. yeah. and that's one of the things I've loved about the Mankind Project, is that I felt scared before, very alone, because that was my defense mechanism, you know, silent but violent. You just stay away from me. And I was a very tough kid, very strong, fast, and it was like you just stay away from me, but sharing and doing the mankind project suddenly it's like i felt support i've got all these men on my with their hands on my shoulder after i said i was writing a book about my story you know one of the the mankind project elders emailed me says oh i'd like to help you you know other people have gone yeah yeah i'll support you so that's made a huge difference that i've i've, I've shared but it's no longer me against the establishment, me against the world. It's like, oh no, I have, I have a brotherhood here, supporting me, that are there just to go, yeah, yeah, I've got your back, which makes a huge difference for me. So, sure, and that's a bet, man, and that's the reward for your courage, dude. Yeah, sure. yeah. Thank you, yeah. thank you, and I think, yeah, it's what you're saying about. You know, I in doing the first video, I was like, there were there's three main stages for healing of any trauma, but especially boarding school. The first one is denial, as you said, denial, disconnection, dissociation. And I'd say most ex-boarders are in this space. You know, the second one is then the anger or the the grieving stage. It's like the ah, it's like the therapeutic stage. Um, and then the third stage is about taking the boon it's like drawing from uh joseph campbell or from um robert moore's work in his book uh, the archetype of initiation is then yeah taking your boon back into the world what have you learned on this journey i think for the first 10 15 years i wasn't ready i was still in stage two i was still in that space of blaming and complaining at my school and now in stage three i'm like this has the potential and boarding school and that's why i'm really excited about this film is that as robert bly says in his book iron john where your wound is is where your greatest gift will be to society and i feel that we have a world of leaders who have been had to survive and if we can try to convert that to see that that is their goal they can be the lead the heroes of this time to transform this world they have that ability once they start to speak up and go you know what that was really challenging to leave my parents david cameron age seven 
Um, you know, Boris Johnson at age 11, Donald Trump age 13, you know, uh, Tony Blair, he ran away from boarding school. And it was only after his father had spoken to the head teacher that did he go back to school? You know, so it's like these people, if we can say that, wow, come on, come to stage three, but you've got to go stage through stage two first. Mm. You've got to grieve and you've got to speak up. What was it like? What did mm. that feel like? You know, so, you know, mm. yeah, so I agree. It's like, yeah, let's transform this. Yeah, I really hear that. I mean, if you take, if I just take the impact in my life of that emotional dissociation, that emotional detachment, you know, the way I treated people, you know, the, the impact that it's still having today, right? Even though I've done loads and loads of work, I'm a completely a different person, <coughs> excuse me, and by all rights, a, a much better man than I ever was. You know, there's still that stuff that sticks around that pops up every now and again. Um, the shadow, right? <laughs> the parts of myself that I hide, repress, and deny. But previously, we were in stage two, strong and strong and hard, which was, by the way, for me, if I think about that, would have been easily 20 years, but, you know, easily, you know, maybe a little bit less, but give or take. I mean, a really large chunk of my life, I, you know, of just in this kind of whirlpool all the time, this hurricane of just chaos and disaster is basically all it ever was. Maybe moments of sunshine, the eye of the storm, something really good happens. But it wasn't long before I just fucked that right up again, you know. And the, the, the way I treated people, the way I treated women, the way I, I just looked at the world. I mean, there was a time, you know, there's a, there's a part of the 12-step program, um, you know, where they you get to a point where you, you make amends to people. Step nine, I think it is. Mm -hmm. And I realized at that time when I heard something, which to me at the time I felt sort of slightly amused by, but also really the gravity hit me. It was like, I mean, you know, I, I didn't even need to know somebody really to, to, to be in a position to have to make an amend to them. Like if people had just come into contact with me, if they just had the unfortunate <laughs> chance of coming into contact with me for half an hour at a pub like or a bar, I would have probably owed them an apology for some stupid shit that I've done or said, <laughs> you know. And that's just an indication of the type of person I was. And it went much further than most people would ever experience you know in terms of how the the degradation the degrading of myself and other people really and just just not valuing i didn't understand the concept of what it meant to look after myself what it meant to value myself or to value people around me and if i just take that as a as a you know as a starting point and i go well these men have had the same experience hmm? and, and as you say they're leading countries right they're making decisions that impact millions of people. What's the impact of that emotional dissociation? What's the impact of, of suppressing that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. to, to such a degree that it's bound to come out sideways. And we can see it, you know, this kind of shadowy kind of sovereign stuff or shadowy magician and sort of like tyrant, sovereign, tyrant king stuff that, that I think can only be, you know, like Donald Trump is is a great example of and, and anyone in that position. Um, what, how would it be different if they did do the work, if they did get to a point? I think, yeah. I mean, I think in the last 
someone did mention what about boris johnson coming on a mankind project weekend that would be great imagine Mm -hmm. that and i'm like yeah i'll you know i'd love to vision that i think if we started to see that rather than they're broken actually do you want to step up and become great leaders and powerful fathers if we can kind of say that well would you want to do you want to really thrive that's what i really feel is what our leaders need to see rather than it, oh they're broken because they're going to just stay in stage one but if they go oh my god i've got this huge gift i can be joyful rather than stuck in addictions you know how many of them have had affairs boris johnson i think someone mentioned to me on one of my podcasts he's had 17 or 18 children mm-hmm. something like that you know um and i think i was listening to your podcast the other uh, earlier on today talking about relationships you know polyamory it's like actually no i've got to stay with this this relationship rather than having lots of affairs mm. that's where we deepen so uh, yeah i mean if we did that then i really feel this is like you know nick duffel says we often get this illusion that um wealth trickles down he says no no wealth doesn't trickle down what does is patterns and beliefs so if our leaders say that vulnerability is a bad thing i mean look at the uk at the moment one in four are in poverty it is average family is 19 days before they will be in poverty the average family that shows me that the leaders in charge you know they're talking about this at the moment with this budget thing that the 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 wealthy are getting tax breaks so they're getting more money the poor are having their benefits cut yeah and so when as we know we've had to dissociate from our vulnerable side at boarding school what happens we project it out onto the world and if we hate that part of ourselves we're going to hate that part in society you look at britain compared with other european countries who have a similar amount of wealth we have the lowest happiness levels highest Mm. pregnancy teenage pregnancies why is that and and i don't know if it's because of boarding school or Mm. trauma but i I think it's worth asking the question Mm. sure what i'm getting you there's like it's like the vulnerable are being punished yeah guys at the bottom of that spectrum the vulnerable are being punished for being vulnerable right yeah and it's what you say it's like that's that part of myself that i didn't like so when I see vulnerability, I'm going to despise it. I'm going to try and crush it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I might be making that up, but that's kind of the picture that comes along when I'm hearing you speak, right? Exactly. Just yeah. look at what the British Empire was based on um, the, you know, it, basically that's where the boarding school really took off in the 19th century. Um, this idea that that century was the English or the British century. And a lot of the colonies were kind of the people in charge had been to boarding school. And so you know, th- this idea that the vulnerable, if we look at who are the vulnerable in society, old, the women, children, the indigenous people. And I would suggest the environment. Why are we struggling so much with the environment? Because we're just taking. You mentioned about giving. We learn to give. But if we're in trauma, it's like we're just giving. 
we were just taking sorry taking, um, yeah. we're just taking um so yeah as you saw at your school that the vulnerable people they got attacked and if they didn't survive they got broken and so is that happening with our leaders now they're unconscious and i, I wrote a, a quote down in preparation for today from jung he says the psychological rule says that when an inner situation is not made conscious it happens outside as fate yeah got it we create we create on the outside the stuff that we're trying to avoid on the inside exactly yeah yeah absolutely and and i get it you know you say you talk about boarding school um people who've been to boarding school ruling the colonies for lack of a better definition and and it really was that it was a greed thing wasn't it it was like i'm going to take all the power for myself um because i'm afraid um of what happens when power is distributed evenly you know so and echoes for south africa you know where i'm from um australia all of that stuff where you talk about particularly indigenous peoples and the way they were treated and the only reason they were treated that way was was out of fear and then of course there's keeping that that sort of hierarchical system you know inside of even you know the white people say for instance for, for lack of a better definition and the person at the top we're we sort of re retaining all power <laughs> and and that makes sense to me somebody who's been through that system who's detached from their emotions is afraid of being vulnerable doesn't really hasn't really kind of tapped into understanding what their fear is and the way they're operating is trying to keep themselves safe by keeping themselves at the top of the pile in this little this little cocoon, this little bubble. So I I absolutely see you know that there's some validation to what you're saying, and without a doubt, yeah, the the UK is one of the unhappiest places uh, per you know by rating in the world for sure. And I see it coming having come from a, a country on the other side of the planet. You talk about the the gap between you know, sort of the haves and the have-nots, so to speak, and how the ones at the top are getting all these tax breaks and everybody else at the bottom is getting punished. And I found that quite interesting, um, just maybe a little bit off topic here, but on topic with the Queen's death mm. and, you know, how everybody really showed up for her and, you know, it was all over the country and this is the Queen and this and that, the royal family and all the rest of it. You know, firstly, I don't know, did King Charles, did he pay any inheritance tax? I don't know. Right? And there's the thing, we've all got to pay inheritance tax. Um, and, and the people that were sort of effectively worshipping this woman, she got a stipend of something like, if you look it up, is 83 million pounds a year, right? From taxpayers. Mm -hmm. That's what she gets to, to her. Uh, and that's without everything else that comes along. Probably don't pay rates and taxes. Probably doesn't pay for all of those sorts of things. Obviously has all the stuff she inherited as well. Uh, and I just really kind of, I was noticing the contrast, how people were glued to their TVs, standing out in the rain, lining the streets just to see this procession of this person. Dare I say it didn't really do much at all. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. Other than perpetuate a system around the world that is now a problem. Yeah yeah thank you yeah that's interesting because i've had this discussion with my wife a bit and she's like uh who's an amazing lady i i feel that you know what i'm doing now with my work is thanks to her there was one sunday night she said to me i said to her oh 
Mankind Project's happening next weekend. And she says, oh, you're going. I said, no, 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 I didn't say I'm going. I said, it's happening next weekend. She says, no, I really get you should go. I'm like, oh, no, I haven't said I'm going. What I'll do is I'll have a reflect tomorrow, see if there's a place uh, and see whether I want to go. But essentially, I went that next weekend. And it's really thanks to my wife, who's been so supportive with this with this work and talking about the queen. It's I because I because I'm saying the similar thing that, you know, Robert Moore talks about this idea of the king archetype or the sovereign archetype Mm -hmm. when the kingdom fails. It's because the sovereign has failed first. And I was pointing out that we've got one in four in this country who are kind of on poverty, you know, near nearing poverty. And I was therefore saying that, well, I don't feel she's done a very good job. But my wife was saying, well, it's the archetype, the energy of the archetype. So on many levels, she was uh, very diplomatic. She was uh, very you know, good at um, accepting all people. You know, she was very calm. So she had certain qualities of that sovereign, but he able to be calm in the eye of a storm. And I feel there were some shadows there. Mm. And, and I do agree with this notion that the systems that we've created through the empire, because essentially what happened to the empire Michael Goldfarb talks about this is when the empire started to collapse, the British empire, where did what happened? Did it just disband? No, it went into the corporations business. Why is business like it is? Why is business? You it's best if you don't have a lot of emotions in business, you've got to be quite cold hearted and calculated. You know, often we take advantage of the vulnerable, you know, right. We're going in to take these resources. Why is that? So, this is again nick duffel talking about this michael goldfarb that the british empire became the corporations which are now running the world mm. Mm. yeah it makes it's a valid uh, valid argument um i mean and yeah there's uh, as we're seeing that is now becoming a problem like i mean it has it's been a problem for a while but the lack of humanity mm-hmm. in, within the organizations and the cultures is just not acceptable anymore. It's still out there on a large scale because it's been so entrenched. Um, but and it's just a very mechanical thing, isn't it? Mm. It's a very mechanical operation. And we as human beings, we're organic and therefore we operate better in a linear fashion rather than a mechanical one, which is why we get high school dropouts and you know, people going around the bend, killing themselves. Yeah. Because this is a mechanical system it's not meant for organic your signals just cut out a little bit there brad yeah yeah you came back you you went out on my side and then you came back in (laughs) it was just a moment where your eyes were open and staring in one direction off into space (laughs) (laughs) now we're back yeah interesting so this and this is something that you know is is a a massive massive topic and yeah, I, I can see the threads. I can definitely see the threads. So your book, should we, let's get onto that quickly for a second. What was the title of your book? Well, my second book, I took it to the publishers. It got rejected. So my second book wasn't published. My first book um, was How to Survive and Thrive in Challenging Times, which I published at the beginning of lockdowns, partly because I'd written it post-monastery. Mm-hmm. And then I'd just gone, oh, I can't put it out there. I'm not good enough. 
And then I was like, oh, actually, people really need this. And that's really outside of my comfort zone. So I published it in 2020. So that's available on, on Amazon. My second book about boarding school, I've written it. Now my energy's gone into writing the film and producing this film. We just, we've been and interviewed Nick Duffel a few weeks ago, and we're going to speak to Joy Chavrin, who wrote Boarding School Syndrome. In another few weeks, we're going to do a promo, and then we will fundraise, you know, to, or we might get a commissioning editor come in uh, and say, yeah, we really want to make this film. I feel this is one of those key questions that we need to be asking. If it's traumatic, if these people have had to survive, could the problems we've got with, you know, the cost of living crisis, the environment, et cetera, have anything to do with these leaders? And if it is, it's like, that's exciting because if they do the work, that could transform things really quickly. Sure. And um, do you have a working title for the, the film yet? It's, just, it's like a documentary style. thing. Yeah. So we've had a few. Yeah. So it's documentary. It'd be partly interweaving my story yeah. and then going into four levels. First one, what's the impact of a child going away to boarding school? What's the impact on an adult would be the second. Third would be what about our leaders and how might that impact the world? And the fourth are the solutions. And interweaving will be my story to make it more personable and more of a story rather than just talking heads of psychologists yes. or psychotherapists talking. Right. Uh, so, yeah. Because yeah, that's what we don't need. We don't need more of this. We need more of this, right? In this, exactly. In, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And is there a title for it, a working title yet? Or you... Well, originally it came to me. I was going to, I thought the world's greatest trauma, but people have said, no, nah, that, that wouldn't work. And the reason I, thought one that would be shocking but then also i was thinking well if the people at the top are traumatized that goes down into every single area of life it does and i'm like slavery could that have been something to do with the ability that the the elite had of dissociation sure that Absolutely. they didn't see people as humans mm. it was only in the 70s the aboriginals they'd always not being classed as humans by the, the the elite so it's like that's 1970s so yeah um so that was the working title but the feedback has been no you need to maybe maybe it's and we don't have one at the moment just leader leaders and trauma it'll it'll come you know and when the time is right the right thing will pitch up um yeah it's there it's you know well you know, the British culture, the British way of being does have so much to answer for around the world, mm -hmm. right? So if you just take and you put the UK at the center of this, um, you know, over the last couple of hundred years, you're onto something, I reckon. You know, mm -hmm. this, this, it's, it will have absolutely filtered down into everything, to all of the colonies, mm -hmm. you know, uh, where all of these things happen across the world, India, Africa, everywhere. Um, that's I say with certainty as well, given the amount of work that I've done and what I reckon I know about this sort of stuff. Um, I wouldn't have considered the boarding school syndrome as part of it, but now that you're explaining it and we're having this discussion, I can absolutely see because I know the impact of how it filtered into absolutely every facet of my life. 
and and not to, to so just to come back because I didn't want to disregard your one of your points earlier is that you know this thing about whether or not these leaders can do the work to say well I yeah I'm stunted by this you mm -hmm. know and then you know what they've done is effectively in politics anyway they sort of crowd around each other right they sort of they create these little pods and they support each other so they're all thinking the same way you know they've all got the same biases right mm -hmm. so they're confirming each other's bias there's no opposing points of view and they have their little sort of pods of safety um that i think for me is part of the problem so we talk about what would it be like if the leaders could say well i want to be brilliant excellent i want to thrive rather than just being this person here i think for, to start with they would have to realize that they're not thriving where they are mm -hmm. and for me that what that it strikes me as it smacks of a drug addict that's functioning mm -hmm. that knows that they're an addict and is using the substance but has enough money normally is the thing uh, to be able to keep their lives operating and functional mm -hmm. right so until that disappears until my family disappears until my wife disappears until everything else disappears even if it is all substandard and substandard in terms in in terms of the communication that i have the quality of connection that i have not realizing that you know i'm screwing up my children um, half the time i'm not appreciating the people around me i'm not appreciating my wife we're all living in this unhappiness, right? Mm -hmm. Until such time as they realize that's a problem, then I don't think there's any way that people will start voluntarily start to do the work, particularly at that level, because they've got so much power mm -hmm. and it might not even be wealth, but it might be riches for the time being. They've got enough to cushion any problem that they might have or that might come their way. So like with any drug addict or alcoholic or anything like that, or any addict of any kind, it's not until you actually hit rock bottom. Yeah, yeah. Where I realize, and I know from my experience that anyone realizes that shit now is the time that something's got to be done. Mm -hmm. So in that way, the system kind of supports itself. Donald Trump's not going to realize he's a cock until all of that shit disappears. He's got so much around him that it doesn't matter how much of a dick he is. And I get, I get it. That's completely subjective. You know, that's a subjective judgment. Um, but I apply that same principle to anybody in position of authority or power here, mm -hmm. you know, in this country. Yeah. So is there a question there? Maybe because no. I... Okay. No, it's a statement. You just, so, whatever comes to you, whatever comes to you. What do I feel? Yeah, I don't know the answer really of how we we do this. And that's why I'm not doing it on my own. I feel we have to do it. You know, I think 60 harvests, they say, is left. You know, fish is going to run out according to the World Wildlife Fund, uh, 2038, something like that in the sea. Um, you know, we've, we've got to do something. And the old way is not working so therefore we have to find a new way there's a few ideas one is often the people who reach out to me are the wives i had someone who's the head of oxford university uh reached out to me and says my, my husband you know one of the many departments said um, my husband's an ex-border can you help me 
You know, I get wives, lots of wives who contact me. So the Dalai Lama said a number of years ago, he says, well, the solution will be the women. And I do feel that maybe that is that the women will go, you ha do have an issue. And it's time for you to do something. So that would be one thing. Another thing would be going into the schools themselves, starting to, you know, I've spoken to head teachers on my podcast, one from South Africa. I do recommend you listen to that because that's fascinating. Him saying on the surface, boarding schools in South Africa look like they've changed. He says, once the teachers have gone, it's like it was 200 years ago. <laughs> they haven't changed. Um, so I feel starting to, you know, whether it's men or women going into these schools, bringing that benevolence, that heart-centered modeling, whether we have something like the Mankind Project, go into these schools, go, this is how a real man is. And, you know, like a few of us as ex-boarders, we go in. This is us. This is how you can really thrive. Again, I don't know. Another thing would be we start to just create like the Mankind Project or like some of these other organizations, our own little communities where we grow our own vegetables. We start just getting on, as Buckminster Fuller said, don't try and you know fix the old system. He says, just create a new one. Create a new one, yeah. Yeah, so... I don't know the answer, really. Um, I know that from the work I've done with people, you know, it doesn't take that long, really, that you can transform and move back into joy and back into purpose. You know, it doesn't mean you don't have struggles, but you're alive again. You cry, you love, you laugh, you're in joy, rather than this, what I feel was exporters. We're just zombies. We're this flatliners can't be too up can't be too down well that's what the system needs to operate isn't it a mechanical system just needs people who are gonna fill the gaps right do what they're told to do um it's interesting though so you know on top of it um while you were speaking there i mean you know i was realizing that a lot of what we're talking about here in terms of the leadership currently they are old god you know and and there is there is a lot of it still happening but you know, on the on the flip side, on on the upside, there's a lot of change happening in the world as well. Mm -hmm. And I think you know every generation is different, and there's a lot more awareness and consciousness in younger generations as we move. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you know, like us. You know, I mean, I'm 41 now, mm -hmm. right? And and I've been completely different to what the generation before me was. Mm -hmm. And I know that everybody who comes after me also completely different. You know, so there is a lot of hope there. A lot of positivity, um, and sometimes, like you say, maybe tackling tackling these issues is, is sort of going a little bit more to the grassroots level, rather than trying to change what's happening on the top, because mm -hmm. they be like an old dog, and you know, as the saying goes, it's very difficult to teach an old dog new tricks, and it's time for them to just kind of filter themselves out, and if they don't want to get with a program or a different program, then let them be and 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 focus on the change, you know, a little bit. Uh, on the younger level mm -hmm. and, and so the, a lot of positivity very optimistic uh i am about the change we have in the world mm -hmm. these can be some serious topics to talk about and i find that i can forget about that as well there's really a, there's really a positive side for this too mm -hmm. yeah i feel very positive it's like yeah. 
you know we have all the solutions to global warming to kind of nuclear waste uh to, you know to all we have all these solutions but at the moment they're not being allowed to flourish but as soon as some shift happens that you know these solutions are going to come to the surface you know uh so i too feel it's a very positive time if we can as kings as sovereigns keep that vision you know um this idea that you know we can have a vision okay so my vision you know is that we 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 transition this time in a peaceful way that we kind of really move and become much more heart-centered as humans and then realizing i have to show up every day i have to do something every single day whether that is my podcast my uh, my men's coaching uh, helping borders heal I just show up every single day. I keep my vision and I feel that's important for us is that the leaders who try and squash us, they can't squash our vision. You know, I think uh, it was um, Viktor Frankl in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, realizing that the one thing the Nazis couldn't take from him when he was in the concentration camp is, you know, they couldn't make him think anything he didn't want to. Yep, the power of his mind. Exactly exactly the power of his heart his his mind his vision so i too i think it's a really positive time it's going to be work take some work though <laughs> my coach said to me when i was saying about my film he's like you know you do realize it's going to be 10 times harder and 10 times more work than you've ever imagined i'm like oh okay yeah, yeah. <laughs> thank you yeah well i mean if you you're in the right place it's not going to feel like work mm-hmm. either right no, yeah. so there's there's that element to it. Yeah. yeah, awesome, man. You know, we just got to keep doing the work that we're all doing, and mm. you know, you've you mentioned in there as well a little bit earlier that you know not feeling good enough. Mm. And I think bef- and before we started recording, and we were talking about this idea of finding our voices, mm. uh, right, and and realizing, and I concur with you. It's the same how I, the same thing I felt and. Um, interestingly, you connected it to the boarding school thing as well, where you're like, it's like, we don't, don't cross. Mm-hmm. Don't, no one, you know, rats, no one's a rat here. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that might be that is connected to that in some way as well. And of course, other things, you know, for example, when I grew up, I was just made to, I felt like my voice didn't count. Mm-hmm. But really coming to realize that we've got something to say when we mm-hmm. do these things and that actually being able to say them and being able to talk about it and speak about it is, is a, a large part of the way forward with these things, right? Get the message out there mm-hmm. and talk about these things that are so important. And they may not be important to some people. Some people would never have thought of this. Some people have never had this experience. It hasn't come into their reality, but it really is important for a lot of others. And um, it's what, when I started doing my, my coaching and my work as well, um, and I just heard somebody said to me, and it was the same as uh, I think I picked it up when I was in recovery, twelve step programs. We get up sometimes, we talk and we share our stories and in meetings. And my sponsor used to say to me, "It doesn't matter, Brad. Like it could be a room full of people, and if there's only one person in there that gets something out of it, then then it's worth you having said what you've said. You know, it's worth you having spoken your story." And um, yeah, I just really feel like it's important for myself and people like yourself to, to really step into that and go like, I have a voice. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got something to say. 
Uh, there's enough of the silencing going on in the world. I'm not going to silence myself in mm-hmm. uh, and really speak up. And I believe that that's what you're doing. Thank you. And thank you for your courage today as well and sharing, because I feel that your voice adds to the discussion that, oh, yeah, 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 I'm not alone. I'm not the only one. And I think that's the biggest, you know, I do men's circles, which are just for borders. Uh, We meet every two weeks or every four weeks. And often they will say in these circles, it's the first time I've either been able to speak and share what I felt. And it's also the first time I've ever heard anyone speak about this stuff. Because, as you know, we you just don't speak about this. Mm. Who's going to listen? You know, it's that privilege thing as well. There's the double bind that you speak up. Well, it's just you were just lucky. You got that great education. It's like mm, having tennis balls thrown at your your body mm. or being hung out of a window. Was that real privilege? Yeah, there was a side to that. But there was also the other, the shadow. And we're almost, you know, not allowed to speak about that. And I think just by going, yeah, there's both sides. Yeah. Yeah, they would try and they would try, try and hit our ball sacks with the the, uh, the tennis ball while we were crawling. We'd have to crawl and then throw it from behind. <laughs> and it was we thought it was funny in those days, apparently. I don't know. You know, we were made to think that it's funny, but it really wasn't. And doing it to somebody else wasn't funny either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. And like you, though, as well, my story is just so so much part of my life these days, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, um, and what needs to be said in order for to help other people identify. Um, so thank you very much for coming on, man. It's been a great chat. Have you got anything that you'd like to, to finish with today? No, I think I really appreciate you, Brad, and the work you're doing you know, with Robert, with Thomas, with Steve. Yeah, it's beautiful work. And yeah, I don't, you know, and if anyone's listening to this, you know, just keep going on with the work. Do your work. You can make a huge difference. Just keep showing up every day, every day, every day. And we can change this world. 